hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast for those of us navigating midlife, where we bring you a mix of shared stories, experiences and the odd solo cast. I'm your host, Jill McGregor, and today I'm joined by my guest, Martha Gelnoff. For over two decades, Martha has coached and advised hundreds of people from senior executives and political figures to students and artists on how to hone their communication skills. In addition, she has also trained as a breathwork facilitator, which she says has brought astonishing results, moving years of pain and loss for her clients, as well as for herself. Martha lives and works in New York City. You're very welcome, Martha. It's so great to have you on. (laughs) Thanks, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's great. And we met in an online group and uh, it's just so lovely to have uh, this one-on-one time with you, although we've just been talking for a couple of hours, so it's just fabulous to be having this one-on-one time, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, to Lady Time, so thank you very much. So... um, when we were talking earlier, I smiled uh, when you mentioned that you weren't even sure what age is midlife. So uh, I thought, oh, that's great. And that you'd always kind of felt young. So I, is it even a thing for you, midlife? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I got married early and I had kids early. And then I guess my midlife started for me when I stopped caring about what people thought of me and I became easier with myself and I was able to not be have to be so certain and be so right about things and I did a lot of training to get there (laughs) and so um that was in my early 50s but even now i feel like i'm in a midlife i'm doing new things that i never thought i'd ever do before i'm i'm gardening and i'm painting i mean i couldn't draw a straight line with a ruler but here i'm doing artwork and i don't care if it's good i just care that i'm doing it and it feels good for me so i think midlife started for me when i gave up all having to feel certain and approved um, for the things I was doing in my life. Yeah, that that's amazing because to me, you still look like you're only about 40. <laughs> <laughs> you're so kind. And I know that you do lots of various different things. There's something lovely uh, about midlife because yeah, you do seem to slough off uh things that you know worried you about what other people might think of you when you're younger and you do i suppose you just get to a point don't you that oh you know i'm fed up doing these things that that are not um they're not sort of doing anything good for me and you just want to let go of those different things yeah and you've done a lot and i'm and we will dive into the things that brought you to that place that you came to but in the meanwhile uh let's talk a little bit about your earlier life because that has actually colored 
what you went on to do in your later life and how you work with people and also particularly with women. And you said that you heard many times in your household growing up uh, that children should be seen and not heard. Now, that's something I know I heard in my household, but you heard it quite a lot. But that really was, in a way, a kind of catalyzer for you. But tell us a little, little bit about what that, that time in your life growing up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I look back, as, I have very early memories, even as a baby and as a young, young child of seeing things that I should not be seeing, you know, I mean, just sensing and intuiting and knowing that things were going on and, and then remembering them. And I think that very early on, I was able to read what was happening, particularly in the household. A lot of it, I guess, when you look at it now is survival, you know, things can get very explosive. And I, I was the eldest of six daughters and my father came from boys, my, you know, all boys and my mother was an only child. And, but it was an explosive place. Um, everything had to look perfect on the outside. Everybody thought we were the perfect family, but that was not the truth. And I got to see the truth very early on. And it wasn't what was said, it what was being done. And um, even to my sisters, I will say things about my mother's life was very difficult. She had a terrible abusive life. And they go, how do you know that? She never told us this. But I watched things and listened and saw and people from her hometown showing things to me that I was able to put together that really wasn't spoken about or told to me that this is the truth of what happened. I just knew. And it was through this deep observation of how people act, how they are, what they're doing, not just what they're saying. Um, and uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and so I, you sense when you're, you're not going to kick the keg, right? And you sense when the danger is about to happen, uh, or at least I did. And then I would get everybody to safety. <laughs> that was my job. Um, and so I, I never was able to put words to how I knew or how I came. It wasn't even new. It's knowingness. It's not information there's this deep knowing inside me how did i come to know these things and and it is about people behaving and what they're doing um physically you know the way they're carrying their body they're holding themselves their their facial expressions their vocal tone all these things to me added up to the bigger part of the communication other than what was being said and so uh, it feels weird because it feels, I just felt like a seer, you know, in a way. But I, it's not like I had any special powers. It's just that I was observing deeper than I guess most people. And then 
my father's father was a very difficult man and he was a misogynist and a racist. He was just not a great person to be around. And so not only children were not were to be seen, not heard, women were to be seen, not heard. And I wasn't having any of that. <laughs> so I was not the favorite grandchild, trust me. I was very vocal and very exuberant. I loved life. I was joyful. And I, you know, I just like everything just exploded out of me. And it was, it was not um, you know, ladylike, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what, what to call it, but uh, that's tough on them. That's how I am. And that's, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Right. Um, but it was hard. It was hard constantly feeling like the damper was being put on, you know, and and um, my mother needed us all to be very well behaved and well regarded outside of the home. And, you know, that um, it was, what was that? There was a joke about it. Um, it's, I, now I can't think of it, but it's it's about like, it's, it's better to, yeah, it's better to look good than to feel good. <laughs> there was a joke on Saturday Night Live by this character. It's better to look good than to feel good. And that was, that was uh, another mantra in the house, right? And um, so I just grew up understanding more about the way people act. And, and now in my life, it makes me crazy. It makes me so angry that people say one thing and do another and 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 so that's inauthentic and it's not truthful and it's it isn't born out of integrity and that's what really gets to me and there's so much of that you know and so it's it's a little hard for me to be in a world <laughs> where I get to see things that I I don't feel are just and yeah <laughs> it's tough sometimes <laughs> And you, you also said that you lost your voice. You yeah, yeah. That, I'm presuming that's not literally. Did you? you, you oh yeah, no, I lost you, my voice. You literally lost your voice. Well, yeah, there was a path to that. I had. Um, I got married early and I wasn't intending on getting married at all. I, I really wanted to be this independent woman. But when I was born and I was born in the early 50s and my mother raised us to go to college so we could marry a wealthy man. I mean, I think that was her <laughs> that was her intention. And I was pretty much uh, a revolutionary. I was always speaking out uh, against unjust things. I, I was social justice and racial justice. And I did a lot of that in high school and college. And I met this, this guy who seemed to fall head over heels about me. And um, he would tell me like he was for everything I was for. And he would tell me that, you know, he was, he was with me on this. And it was a difficult time in my life because I was leaving home for the first time. And I think I got married because I needed to get out of my household. I needed to get out of the house. It just didn't feel safe anymore for me. And it was the wrong thing to do. So I had two children 
and realized he was a compulsive liar and a con man. And I had to take my babies when my daughter was three months old and up and walk out and say, I have to raise these children on my own. And uh, he came after me. And it was just so hard that here I have babies and my voice went out. And I was working and I was in sales at the time. Uh, and I just had nothing. And I had been performing, I had been singing, but it was interesting. I performed and sang and I had no training and I never really knew how to breathe. And so my non-breathing was also, it was a lot of anxiety and a lot from a lot of attack and a lot of anxiety, but also like never being trained to breathe. Like I didn't have, I wasn't breathing and that can strip your voice too. So being, Living outside of New York City, I was referred to a, a, a very preeminent voice doctor. Um, if people know what, you know, being a, a doctor on Park Avenue is, it's like, you know, the top of the top. And I go to this guy and he was this German man with a thick accent and he looked like something out of the 1800s. He wore like a big, a big wide band with a big mirror on on his forehead <laughs> and he had all these like bunsen burners and all these i don't know it was just out of a it was out of a, a historical movie and he first told me about food that i shouldn't be eating of course it was all my favorite foods chocolate strawberries and wine i was like kill me <laughs> and then but it was the first time i had ever heard about food sensitivities or allergies right and so he was ahead of his time, Martha, then. This guy, yeah. Well, it was interesting. He treated all the opera and the Broadway stars. Like if I got, if I didn't have the first appointment in the morning, they would come in and I'd get bumped to late in the afternoon because they had a matinee, you know. Um, but he also said, you have to rest your voice and you can't speak. And I got, I got babies. He said, write to them. I go, they don't read. <laughs> They're not reading yet. So I had to go. He said, you have to go for vo vocal training. And voice training is acting training. And uh, I did what he said. And a lot of it also had to do with an adult onset of, aller of allergies and um, asthma. And so I was treating that with kinesiology and then homeopathy after that, and then doing this voice work. But the voice work was body work. It was movement, deep body work. And that started to unearth a lot of things. You know, and at the time we didn't use the word trauma, right? Who knew what trauma was? Now it's like spoken all the time, but boy, oh boy, that did that excavate a lot because the voice is very, very close to the bone for anybody. And Martha, can I just ask you, were you still just in your 20s at this stage or late 20s? Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. My, my life had been lo like loaded at that point. I know. And in order for me to survive to raise my children, um, a teaching job wouldn't, 
a teaching job would not ever pay enough. And that's what they always like, you know, back then it's like, get a teaching job. I couldn't be a secretary because I could not type for my life. And I, but I got um, corporate jobs and they were always promoting me into a leadership role. And I moved from one big company to another. I'd be headhunted and, and, and starting to be paid at least a decent wage where I, you know, could raise my, my two daughters. Um, but that is very hard because, you know, the, the pecking order and, the, and I was very outspoken and I was, I was actually rewarded for being outspoken and being a leader, but there, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that went on in this, this, the corporate world that I just couldn't go along with. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. And that felt, um, yeah, it was felt tough, but I did it because I needed to, I needed to support my family. And, uh, at that point, though, in the corporate world, you'd worked for a long time and you moved into the the um, coaching work then after that. And that really led you back into deep into your voice and into your being um, yeah. really taken with that work because it's the voice. I mean, the voice is almost central to a lot of your work but it goes even deeper than that so I'd love you to go as yeah. much into that as as yeah as you'd like to so I you know I was very unhappy in my roles in my the work I I am um, the, the corporate world, you know, it just wasn't for me. It was like eat or be eaten. And that's not, my, that's not how I live. And I was speaking to a friend and I was saying, I'm just done. I can't do this anymore. And she worked in, in a bank and, you know, one of the big banks in New York city in learning and development in HR. And she said, you know, she had seen me facilitate groups. She had seen me do public speaking. And she said, you'd be great in working for this company that's a worldwide communications skills coaching and training company. And she introduced me to the, the, um, the second in command there. And I interviewed and I got the job and I was so happy because it really felt that this is where I belonged. And I did very, very well there. I, um, but at the time we were we were mostly training presentation skills and selling skills and negotiation skills and all these things but then they would send me out to coach very senior people because functionally they got to their role they would be a ceo because they had all the right the, all the right goods for being the ceo but they themselves did not feel that they were a leader. It was almost like an imposter syndrome, right? They they had the brain work, but they didn't have the presence that they wanted. So they started to send me out on many of those coaching assignments because I had had theater, I've been working in the theater a bit and I had been taking the voice classes and other experimental movement and other things up until that time. And Around that time, even though I was 
I felt really good about doing this work, I I was at a place, and this is, I guess, I guess this was at the real midlife. <laughs> I don't know what that age is, but I was at a place where I felt that in order to be taken seriously, I had to have the right answers. Like I had to be, I had to be on top of everything. If I had the right answers, I would be okay. And I said to my voice teacher in New York City that I just feel like I died. I, I'm not alive anymore. I'm wooden. I'm false. I lost my childhood verve. I have no, uh, there's no je ne sais quoi in me anymore. I'm just like, I, I, can't, I don't even recognize myself. And even though on one hand I was being successful, I didn't, I felt stuck. So she she said to me, you have to go to the, these improvisation classes. And I was like, oh God, I hate improv. And she goes, no, 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 no. I teach, at the, I teach voice at this acting conservatory in New York and they do an evening program, go to the classes. And that's where things unlocked for me because it's about being present in the moment and playing and having fun and imagining and creating and just, you know, in partnership, whatever comes up in the moment, you go with it. And it doesn't have to be right or wrong. But when you let it go, you have the most fun. And it it's like it broke me of one, having to think I had to have the right answers, which was crazy. You can't always have the right answers. And it broke me of having to care about what people think about me. I just stopped caring. And what a relief that was. And that can release so much in your voice. You know, I had so much tension. It's like I, I had a TMJ going on in my jaw. Uh, I actually got a homeopathic remedy, by the way, that got rid of the TMJ for me. Um, I want to find out about that. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So, um, so I'm taking these classes at night and enjoying them. And the the woman who headed up the school, who was also teaching improvisation, said, you should come to our two-year conservatory program. And I'm like, what are you crazy? I can't quit my job and just go to school. And I had just finished, my my younger daughter just gradu- had just graduated from college. And I went and, and I'm not a big risk taker at this point. I didn't consider myself a risk taker. I quit my job and I went to school. <laughs> and here I am, like I'm early 50s and there are kids that are like 17, 18, 19, 20s, couple in their 30s and me. <laughs> um, but their curriculum, a lot of acting schools are, a bit bogus where their curriculum is all about getting you to get an agent and get a manager and get you know get auditions and they didn't do any of that that it was all about becoming a human being and they were going to excavate you to do that like they tear you down <laughs> from the rafters all the way to the bottom and you build up again and it's all body work it was all vocal release work it was all movement work and I found I found myself in all of that. That's 
is uh, incredible, Martha, uh, because you're right, most uh, theatre schools are like really honing you, preparing you really to be a certain way. Um, but that's very deep. It's actually more therapeutic, really, than therapy. But of course, theatre, uh, in ancient times, theatre was used uh, as a sort of a therapeutic Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of uh, what thing for the audience it, it wasn't ever meant to be for entertainment um, as such back then I mean it is now we all want to be entertained um, that's incredible can you so so did you find that you began to express your voice your actual voice more what what changes took place i mean you were in your early 50s were you going through your menopause at the same time as well physical? <laughs> yeah. was that later? yeah i had to, i had really just my, it might uh, for some reason my menopause didn't last that long and i had just really come out of it you know i started a, maybe i started a little early but i just had come out of it and yeah the uh, it's interesting because when I got to acting school, I think I, you know, I had some preconceived notions of how I was to be, and I, I, I am right now planning to move out of New York City. I don't know where, and I've been paring down, and that's getting rid of stuff. I've I've just hauled out so much stuff and clothes and. I attacked my paper, which is like, you know, I'm a paper junkie. And I um, was pulling bags of recycling and shredding out of here. And I had a file from school and they were two years of my evaluations from all my teachers. And I never read them before. I, I don't know why I never read them. So here I'm reading them for the first time. And from, and it's funny, I read the second year first and then the first year I did it backwards and several teachers in the in my first year commented on how I dimmed my, I was dimming my voice they felt that I wasn't using my full voice and and by the second year there was they were saying at the end of the second year how far I had come in using my voice. And one of the voice teachers said to me, my first year voice teacher, I think it was, said that Martha doesn't own the power that she has at times. And it's so there, she just needs to own it. But by the second year, everybody was acknowledging that I I had come through the fires. I mean, acting school is the hardest thing you could do. I got my ass kicked there. (laughs) It is. Ooh, they just strip you down um, uh, to the core, or at least me. I think the kids who were seventeen, they didn't even have much stripping to do. I had a lot of there was there was a lot of uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot to take away. Um, you know, just bad behaviors and habits and things that I was able to release. But reading this now and having even people who weren't my voice teachers talking about how far I had come with my voice, even there after having studied for so many years, it felt I, um, yeah, it felt like a a great accomplishment. 
Oh, wow. And you're reading it, what, a good few years after, after, you know, you've, you've been in college and you're only finding out now what your teachers actually, how, what they thought of you at the time and your work. But, you know, there's a perfect timing for everything, I think. Well, I think, you know, so this was a master's program at a conservatory in New York. And um, I, one of the things they applauded me was my professionalism and my work ability because you were with teenagers and, and I was able, they were able, they said that I set such a great example. But then reading those evaluations, I, I didn't actually think that people thought that much about me. I didn't. I didn't think that these teachers thought that, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I was second guessing myself. And and then to read it now and say, oh my God, I'm being held in such high regard here. And it makes me think about the work that I've done with women executives. So working with senior executives on their presence, their, it, it was presence and voice. And I developed a program called Presence and Impact. And I left the, I didn't go back to the company that I was with, I went out on my own. And it was not just verbal communications, it was the nonverbal. And so I, I actually teach people to breathe and ground and center and, um, and, and, and just like release, like let go. People hold on to this persona that they want to put out there, but it isn't authentically them. So I taught in New York City before now because, uh, you know, we're in lockup or whatever we call it. But I taught improvisation sessions to executives, but executives came, artists came, students came. It was great. And, and it's like, you know, it's almost like the circle process. Nobody's higher than the other when you're sitting in the circle and we'd always start in a circle. And so that there could be a CEO or two sitting there and nobody knew because I got them up on their feet and we would run around the room and play games. And these games taught so many communication skills and, pre and about presence and about tension and what tension does to you and your voice. So there was one C a woman who was a CEO that took my improvisation class and she goes, I need more. So then I brought, I made up another course called Women Leading with Grace and I brought in all these senior people and then some students too, whoever. And we did this Women Leading with Grace, which was more work to release. And there was always a great deal of voice work in that. And some of the most senior women who have incredible talents, clamp down on themselves, they diminish themselves, and they second-guess themselves. Uh, and through this work, they felt that they didn't have to do that anymore, at least in the room. I don't know what they did afterwards, but in, at least in the room, it was always a love fest. And then she goes, I love this so much, can we do something else? <laughs> I did women living with grace, and I added on a whole other thing, and I brought in a friend, and we did a lot around archetypes and the goddess Inanna and a whole lot of things that that just related to women and their journey, you know? And they, you have the hero's journey, which is that outward journey, 
but we were doing the heroine's journey, which is like the inward journey. And it all had to do with how they were projecting themselves, communicating themselves. And that we did a lot of voice work and a lot of release work in that, in that program as well. did when you were working with the women what and you know it's 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 perfectly nor it's almost like normal that women uh can be you know very successful on the outside and still have this going on in the inside like you said the imposter syndrome um is it is it particular to women or did you ever do work with men where they had the same thing going on or do men just not have that same thing going on? Is it the way we're culturalized as women growing up? Um, no, it's interesting. There, there are men in very senior roles who they just use a bigger smoke screen, you know, like more bombast to hide how vulnerable they are. And, and, and getting them comfortable with that vulnerability and the intimacy, it's a bit harder to work with them than women because women are more, you know, they're more empathetic and easy, easier. But the, uh, let me tell you, there's some women, unfortunately, many women have decided that the way they could be successful is to become more like a man. So some women, it was like working with a man, not a woman, because they had so many defenses, right? And um, the, the improvisation sessions and the sessions I ran were silly and fun and we could laugh at the top of our lungs and run around the room and it just, it put everybody in a place where um, they were learning and letting go so deeply. And quite frankly, it was very selfish. I ran these sessions because I I needed them too, and I had so much fun, and I loved to, um, I loved to be playing. <laughs> so it was a bit selfish that it, I I wanted to I just wanted to do that work, but no, the men. Uh, um, I mean, and I've had men that said to me, "Oh yeah, I know I should change, but I'm just not going to," you know. But then it's like, oh, how's that going to work for you? A lot of them, you know, didn't work very well. They got replaced or they got moved on or whatever. Um, and the women, it was different. It was different where I think they had been suppressed for so long that to be able to step out and actually stand grounded and rooted in your truth and speak your truth and, and feel that your powerful message needs to be heard and not second guess yourself, which I saw happen a lot. Um, and they would show it in their body. You knew what was going on. I could read it again. I could read that even though the words sounded really good, everything else was collapsing. And how do you, how can you not, how can you hold your body in a way and not collapse it? Um, there's a, 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 a woman from, from England named Patsy Roddenberg. She's a, a voice teacher there. She runs the voice program at Guildhall School of um, Music and Drama. 
And she's written seven books on voice, a lot on Shakespeare. And I trained, I've trained with many people. I trained with Patsy. And she did a whole thing on presence and what, where we need to be. And there's first circle, there's third circle and second circle. And so the difference with men and women often is women could reside in the first circle. Now, people can't see this because it's audible. It's an audio, but I'm going to do first circle for you where it's a collapse in my body and I'm just like diminishing and it's all internally focused. And then I'm going to do, and you can hear my voice what's happening, right? It's just like really low. But then what happens is people push to third circle and they're not connecting to anything unspecific outward and they take up too much room and their voice is too loud, but my voice is still strained. And then Patsy said, there's second circle and it's it's the circle of connection. It's a circle of vulnerability and intimacy. And so that's what I would work men and women through to see the difference between the circles and where do you go? You head to second circle and then teach them all the behaviors, physical and vocal behaviors of what that looks like and feels like. So I have people that I worked with years ago and if I meet them, they go, I'm still going to second circle. <laughs> and I always credit Patsy for her work. It's, you know, um, it was, it's beautiful work. And I asked her, I said, can I use it in my business? And she said, as long as you credit me for it. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, it's an inside job as I tell people. And you know, just as you described that first and third circle, I completely get that because I even physically, even when it's not say some issue or whatever is going on, even if it's my physical body, uh, which I have problems with my neck and back because I'm sitting at a computer most of the time. Um, I, I, I slump down physically, you know, because, oh, there's a pain in my neck or my shoulders. And then I try to go, I'm seeing it's like, like you say, the third circle. I'm trying to stretch it out, but I'm overdoing it. And it actually doesn't work because I have discovered even in the last week that it's an inner tension that I was carrying. And I decided to write it all out, this particular issue. I just wrote it all out and then I burn it in my stove. And uh, then I got a friend to do a little bit of hands-on on me. And yeah. I actually realized it's and it's 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 what's going on in my head was bothering me at the moment about something and uh, that that's what's causing the tension so i can completely see that first second and third circle mm -hmm. as you i don't know if i'm getting it right but that's how i was interpreting what what you were just saying and it is well, that inner space and what you're saying too is this tension that's creating that pain that's what happens with voice strain and voice projection you have to remove all tension from your body body face everything in order for your voice to come forward and so many people because they're concerned about what people think about them or they're concerned about um, getting it right and all these things on um, the 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 lineage of the improvisation work I did 
comes out of the work of Viola Spolin. And she said, there's five, I can't remember the others, but I remember number one, there's um, five obstacles to a direct experience. And number one is approval and disapproval. And she says, if you spend your whole life trying to get approval or trying to avoid disapproval, you are in such tension that you, you, you just cannot be free and spontaneous and, and live your life, you know, in a, in a joyful way. So I felt that I, I had this vision at one point when I was at that place where I was saying to my, my, my voice teacher that I was wooden and, and false. I had this vision, this view, because I see weird things, as I said, from an early age, that here there was the person standing across from me, and there was me, and then there was this other being of me, a shadow being of me, in between me and the other person, and that shadow being was saying, like me, like me, like me, approve of me, approve of me, approve of me, and it was getting in my, in the way of me having any type of intimate relationships or conversations with people because I was so concerned about getting it right or having people like me or approve of me. And with the, the vo voice training and the improvisation and the theater training, I was able to get that out. It, felt, it was like an exorcism. very very interesting and also very deep you know when I think back to some of the workshops I did even with the, the current job I'm in and even uh, in theatre work that I had done years and years ago uh, I never got the depth of those really because it just didn't let go enough and also the teacher wasn't really you know, the teachers were often like that, just doing this to, you know, help you to see this or help you see that or whatever, but not really going as deep, deep as uh, what you're talking about. So you essentially, you truly do help people to find their voice by going through their body as such. Is it, is it, is, is that it? Or yeah, I think what it is, is that I've given people the opportunity to do these, these um, w workshops or uh, sessions or coaching. I work with people one-on-one -on -one coaching over a period of time for vocal work. And it's just, it's just placing in front of them some things that, you know, I, and I say to them, I don't have all the answers. Here's a, um, here's a buffet table of things. Let's try all of them out. Find the ones that work for you. Try them over and over again and see if you get the results, right? Because these are practices. There's no magic wand here. You have to do it and do it and do it. So what, I, what I'm offering them are a series of practices. But during while we're doing the practices, a lot of people have, like I did in my training, a lot of realizations of what's working and what's not. 
And if it's not working, then don't keep doing it here. So I always say to people, I'm going to tell you what to do instead, because you'll get feedback from your boss that will say something like, don't do that anymore. But that's not helpful. You need you need to know what to try instead in order to break whatever the habit is or the behavior is. So I just give people the the opportunity to see that there's things that that could be helpful to them if they choose to do it. And uh, I, I just have a, it's not worth doing it if it isn't fun. So we have, it's just a lot of fun. We, you know, if it, there's no laughter and fun, then I'm not interested in being there. And, and people are so worried. They think they're being sent to this and it's going to be torture. And then they come out of the room like cracking up and everybody's like, what are you doing inside there? You know? Um, and then I know that my job is done when we have that or, at the end of an improvisation session, strangers are hugging each other, exchanging cards and setting up coffee dates. It's like, oh, my work is done here. <laughs> I just, I get, I get such a thrill that there's that connection made with everybody in the room. And I didn't really have anything to do with it. I just side coach the games, you know, or I side coach the practices. It's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's the, it's alchemy. It's just such a beautiful. Yeah, it's a, a a beautiful thing to see happen in the space. How do you work up with the one-on-one then? Um, I'll give you an example. I was called into one of the big banks, and they had a young woman who is, was very, very, very promising. You know, very high potential. Um, had her clients loved her. And she had what we call this unfortunate <laughs> um, vocal glitch um, called vocal fry. Have you heard about that? So apparently a lot of young women and their actresses do it. And some men, they talk like this. It's like this thing and they do. Have you heard people like it's very cool, right? And so her boss said to her, you can grow in this job. You can grow in this company. You can really, everything is here for you to succeed, but not with that voice. So and which direct. Would, which would, yes, which, you, well, and, and listen, most, I also teach how to give feedback because most people don't know how to do it well. And most people will, it's called a defensive routine. I won't tell you the truth because I'm saving myself from feeling bad rather than <laughs> helping you out, right? And and so the fact that this guy w- was very honest with her, he, they, she and I had, um, we did work together on how to remove, it was so much tension and she was like gnarling, like it was like grabbing the words and twisting it in her throat and it had to hurt her, but it was not pleasant for people to listen to it on the other side either. There's a thing called mirror neurons. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, mirror neurons. So it's a it's like brain cells. I, I think you'll know what it is when I tell you. It's just now that's the scientific word for it. Mirror neurons are in our the brain cells. The way they work is, whatever you give me, 
I reflect back to you, right? So if I come up in front of a room and I'm starting to speak and I'm, my face and my body is in, in, in tension, like, you know, look at the tension. It's so funny. I, I'm going to tell this to the audience. I am like raising my shoulders, um, holding my wrists, you know, crunching my jaw. And when I did that, Jill's shoulder just went up to her ear. <laughs> Mirror neurons. I call it monkey see, monkey do, right? And so... <laughs> That's so funny. To say it, was <laughs> it was like, you're just like, oh, you were so tense. So what happens is, is that if you want people to have confidence in you, but you're all tense and then they tense up, and then you see them tense up and you reflect back. There's this like building of tension and um, it it's just so uncomfortable to communicate. So when you're aware of mirror neurons, what I put out to you, you're going to give back to me. So if I want you to have confidence in me or I have to show confidence, right? Or if I want you to feel comfortable and at ease in what I'm communicating, my body has to be in comfort and ease. Because if I say something like, oh, this is, you know, don't worry, this is fine, but my body is in like this ball of tension, you're not gonna believe it because people believe what they see more than what they hear. And so her tension, what her voice was tense, but it was all like the way she held her, her throat, her shoulders, her face was, and she enjoyed very deep and, and trusting and good relationships with her clients. And they believed in her, but to remove this, this um, vocal tick or glitch was going to give her more entree in, with more people. She was brilliant. She just saw things so differently and creatively and people enjoyed that about her, but the tension was, I, she would have probably lost her voice if she kept doing it. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a fabulous example of it. And when you described her voice or that kind of voice, it's like, Oh my goodness, yes, I've heard this kind of voice. So and I was thinking exactly what you were saying. You you could eventually uh just you know hurt your vocal cords with that kind of low voice. And mm -hmm. and I could relate not to that, um, but just it's podcasts and it's made me more comfortable with my voice as well. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't at all comfortable with my voice for all my life, I just thought it was, um, there was no power in it and there wasn't. So it's very interesting to hear the way you work with the voice because it's very deep. I, I mean, that's how you express into the world. That's what people hear. That's how you talk, you communicate. I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you're unable to speak, say you were born like that, then you communicate differently. But mostly we communicate into the world with sound and with our sight. So it's very, very, very interesting work that you do. Yeah, and the, the um, I've had two coaching clients recently, both men, both very promising, um, and 
you know, smarter than smart. This one guy is just like brilliant. And I've been asked to do accent reduction. And I said, no, I don't do that. Because I feel like the boss that's asking for accent reduction wants this person to sound like him. And I don't believe that we should erase someone's, you know, their their past, where they're from, or, you know, and, but people can become more articulate and, and be able to communicate better with the work I do. Just that I'm not taking their accent away. So I, I've lost a lot of business by saying, no, 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 you're not going to get me to do that garbage. Anyway, I worked with this guy and he does have a very thick accent, but that wasn't it. What it was is he spoke so fast. And it's his brain just runs so quickly and his mouth was trying to keep up with the brain. And we just worked on having him, and you can't tell someone to slow down, right? You can't talk like that. But how to use pause and how to make a point physically with tone and intonation and all these things in your voice that colors it and and helps people to understand what you're saying. So we worked uh, on that, but a lot of also, a lot of his quickness and this other guy that I had worked with too, their fast talking was, there's something else there. I think there's a lot of anxiety I think that they don't think that what they have to say is is worth hearing, so they brush over. There, there's something there's something psychological in that, and I go there. It's like, oh, listen, I'm not a therapist, but I'm going to ask you this. On a scale from 1 to 10, how much of it is anxiety that's making you rush through what you're saying? And so that when we do the breathing and the grounding and the centering and getting them in their body, and out of their head and just then they can speak in a way that's that creates meaning and is more meaningful to the listener that's really helpful to to offer those skills because if you you could be the most brilliant person in the world but if they can't understand what you're saying it's it's not really helping Absolutely fascinating. Um, Martha, we were going to talk about breath work, but we mm -hmm. also discussed that we might keep that for another podcast because yeah. we've covered a lot of ground today. And yeah. uh, we're probably a little bit over the hour, but we've really covered a lot of that uh, of ground. It's, it's I, I'm just loving everything you're saying. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, and actually for myself like you were saying earlier you wanted to selfishly do things uh because you 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 were having fun as well but <laughs> i'm really selfishly like asking more and more questions because this is really giving me a lot of food for thought about how i use my voice and how i hold it back and all of that but hopefully um it's uh, for our listeners it's uh as as interesting as to me or to them as it is to me 
Um, so we may hold off on the breath work because you do some really amazing stuff with that as well. And yes. I think it deserves to have a whole podcast to itself, particularly your breath work with with the crone time in a woman's life, which uh, we, you know, we can, we'll probably talk for another hour on that, <laughs> I hope. So uh, we finish, we generally have a couple of questions at the end of our podcast. Um, what's been your greatest challenge in life so far? And I know you've had a lot, but one that sticks out the most. I think, um, oh my God, <laughs> that's, that's, wow, pick one. Um, I think that trusting people, because I had a lot of people let me down in my life, and I just don't trust what people say to me. I need them to back it up with the action, right? And so it takes me more time uh, to understand if I'm going to feel invested or comfortable with someone. And uh, yeah, I, I'd say that, that, that trusting is, is something that I don't do very, I don't, I think at one point in my life, I did it very quickly and I made a lot of mistakes and trusted the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And now I'm very, very careful because I need to read those actions and see what's really happening and what's really going on. So I, I guess that would be one of them. Yeah, and, and trust is a very big thing, isn't it? It really is. Yes, and, and we it's very deep as well. Um, what do you most value in life or what are your values? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a funny story. Um, I, I value um, care, taking care, um, not just myself, but other people. I am. Um, I like to do a lot of mutual aid work and and things that are caring for the earth right now in you know in in my free time and but I would say one time I was in a a a, a group of people that we were meeting for the first time it was a an intra-departmental thing for a big company, like a global company I was working for. And they ran this session where there was an inner circle and that stayed the people who sat on the inner circle and they were like desks, there was tables in front of them. They stayed um, stationary and then there was an outer circle and people moved from person to person and questions were asked and it was a way for you to get comfortable with people and get to know the people that were going to be in this in this initiative with you. And so I, I faced this man, very well-built, blonde, you know, statuesque. And the question was, what is your motto in life? And I so 
and this is like I wasn't young. I was not young when this happened. I so lovingly said, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And this guy stood up, leaned forward, and slammed the desk in front of me and said, look out for number one. Well, I always thought everybody had the golden rule do unto others as they're held as their their highest value. <laughs> it never occurred to me that people had their highest value look out for number one. It was so foreign to me. But <laughs> I fell over. I practically had to they had to catch me from hitting my head on the floor. But um yeah, I just I just always feel like you have to treat people well and you have to show care. And, and yeah, it's about love and care. Those are my highest values. Is there any uh, any little words of wisdom you might pass on to others? Well, I'm going to speak words of wisdom, and I'm speaking them to myself at the same time I'm speaking to other people. And that's don't second guess yourself. You know, we are all magnificent. We really are. And to talk yourself down or back or under, or, you know, just to diminish ourselves in any way, is, it's, it's bad for our frequency. We should not be, you know, dimming our lights at all. And, and so I feel like that's what I've seen, particularly with the women that I've worked with, that even, in, even being so powerful and so successful, they would second guess themselves and it would come out in their voice and their and their presence you know and 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 i have to remind myself of the same thing <gasps> oh that's wonderful is there anything else um that you would like to share that i didn't ask you about or you're just thinking about now or anything like that Wow, we covered a lot. Yeah, I just we did. I, <laughs> we did. I just I I um I guess I wanna share my gratitude uh to all my teachers. If you look at my website, I actually have a page on um power it's called Powered By and I know I missed somebody, but I I I wrote down all the teachers from my music teacher in high school, all you know, just all these people that had an effect on me and that um, like midwife midwifed me through and so that's yeah I have a lot of I've had a lot of learning and a lot of caring people in my life and I have a lot of gratitude for that and I I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't gone through some tough things but also some really great things that helped me well Martha We've come to the end of this, our first conversation, and we will have a second one, and we'll have it soon. Um, you work with people, and you work with people online, internationally, and uh, mm -hmm. would you like to tell people where how they can contact you or where they can find out about oh, you? Oh, sure. And I will put them on the episode notes as well. So. Oh, great, yes. My website is www.presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E dash impact.com. 
And my email is martha at present-impact.com. And I'd love to hear from anybody. Just, you know, if they have a question or want to find out about anything, I'd be happy to have a conversation with them. Oh, that'd be lovely. Well, Martha, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, spending practically the evening with you. <laughs> my evening, your afternoon. Yeah. And I just absolutely love the New York soundscape in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Like the windows open. I know, but I love the sound of the, the horn. You always associate, oh I always associate that with the uh, with New York and the Yankees. <laughs> it's great. I um, will never get used to the noise here. Never. It's not fun. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. I've only been there when I was on holidays. Um, but Martha, thank you so much. It's really thank you, Jill. I loved speaking with you. Thank you. Great. Thank you for listening to this Lady Time conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and found uh, some of what Martha shared very helpful and useful. Please do share it with your friends, family, and on your social media. You can like us or you can even love us on Facebook, on our Facebook page by searching for Lady Time Podcast, where you'll find all of our links and see what we're up to. And if you'd like to share any private feedback with us or tell us what you'd like to hear more of, or even if you have a midlife story of your own you think may be of interest to us, you can email us on ladytimepodcast at protonmail.ch. That's ladytimepodcast at p-r-o-t-o-n-m-a-i-l dot c-h. Until our next episode, bye for now.